You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Allegations have been swirling for days that a report was coming about the ownership of the Phoenix Suns and that it would be a damning report. And those allegations gained so much steam that we even saw retorts from the team before we saw the actual news. And today, that all changed as the article is now out and the allegations of racism and misogyny within the Phoenix Suns organization are absolutely staggering when you read them. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear hotline, and you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. You can do that on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back, so are the fans return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And we'll get into some fun uh, football news. We'll get into all sorts of thoughts on the world of college football and everything else this weekend. But right now, the most important thing that everybody is talking about are the allegations of racism and misogyny that come from the Phoenix Suns and owner Robert Sarver. And th- there's a detailed article out on ESPN.com. I would uh, implore everybody to take the time to read it by Baxter Holmes, uh, talking about not one, not two, not three, but dozens of instances and dozens of reports and uh, just what the culture has been like the language used, language that not only I'm uncomfortable uh, ever thinking of saying, but at this point in life, I'm uncomfortable actually reading. It's that bad, Sarah. And as I read through it, I kept thinking, how do we get to this spot where constantly we're continually seeing these reports come out of owners that just don't know how to run their business in a way that is actually, I don't know, civil and normal. You read it and think uh, it's horrifying for the people that work in there in the organization. It's horrifying for the culture that's been created. And it's horrifying that we're saying it yet again about an owner of a professional sports team. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could even begin to say um, how and why power corrupts the way it does or how and why so many people who find themselves in these positions of power also end up proving themselves to be misogynist, racist, homophobic. Um, But it's a through line that is far too common. And it's not until more recently that there's been a real feeling of wanting to reveal this and talk about it and believe that the sports world is a place that will receive it and handle it fairly. And I think that's a big part of this, right? The the fact that we've heard allegations that had to be handled and dealt with by Mark Cuban and the Mavericks, by Donald Sterling, by uh, uh, the owner of the Panthers, whose name uh, Richardson, um, you know, these things are not new. You know, John Gruden, um, Dan Snyder, none of these things are new. I feel like there's a combination of the Me Too movement and a general larger discussion around what is okay and right and inclusion within massive companies and sports teams that has caused people to think maybe if I say something, this will actually, something will be done. Um, I don't know in this case why it feels like it's so widespread and long-term with the NBA and the NBA PA both telling reporters that there have not been any complaints received against Sarver. There was an anonymous hotline launched uh, in 2018 for all team and league employees to report instances of harassment and misconduct. And an NBA spokesperson says they have not received any. Now, the question is whether they believe that that anonymous hotline is is going to do anything or if there requires some sort of public pressure in order to see a result. And I thought L. Duncan on Around the Horn today did a really nice job of sum upping not just who Robert Sarver appears to be across the breadth of his comments and his and his inappropriate behavior, but also what the likelihood of the needle moving depending upon public response and the players. Here's what she said. Robert Sarver's that guy. He's that guy. He's that guy 
that asks if the carpet matched the drapes. He's that guy that jokes that they should get strippers to trap NBA players. He's that guy that in his 50s still pants someone in front of other people. Like, he's that guy. I don't know how you rehab that, but I also know that Donald Sterling was accused of being that guy too. And to everyone on the panel's point, nothing actually came of any of that behavior until it was tangible, until V. Stiviano taped him. John Gruden doesn't have a job because it was in black and white what he said. That's why he doesn't have a job, but Dan Snyder still has control of his team because people don't like gray area and they don't like innuendo. They're going to write this off as uh, sour grapes, right? Earl's just, he's just upset. These are former employees. They're not happy. That's all this is. And that's what they're going to write it off as because right now it's just his word versus their word. And I don't think that anything's going to come up. Okay, I mean, Adam Silver reading this today, L. And you recall Adam Silver as he took over as commissioner of the NBA, that, that, the Donald Sterling, I mean, that was, welcome to the job, and now you deal with this. So how do you believe he's considering this? I think that he's probably going to try and see if the players are going to take control in the same way they did with Donald Sterling, because that's what really was the tipping point. Yeah, if the player said, we're not playing, we're done. Yep. Chris Paul was there, right, at that time, and God, poor Chris Paul, and now he's here with the Suns. If they don't play this game, if they say we're not playing for this man, it'd be a lot easier to get Sarver out because the Suns have, what, like 20 owners as opposed to Donald Sterling, who was just the one. But I think that they're going to have to be the ones that actually are the catalyst behind getting this guy removed because I think that just based on the merit, he's not going Lynn anywhere. I, I, I do want to get your thought on some of this, Sarah, because what she mentions in the he said, she said portion of this, I think is – an important one, like I, that was my initial reaction. I'm always real and transparent with everybody about this stuff. My initial reaction when I read it and when I started to hear everybody talking about it was nobody responded to an anonymous hotline. That seems so weird for me. And then you read the article again and you think, yeah, but this many people wanting to speak to it off the record or, or, or under some guise of anonymity, like that has to have meaning too. I struggle sometimes with how to find the balance between uh, the fact that there are systems in place and those systems aren't being used while at the same time looking at it and saying, but people are speaking out to it. So there must be something behind it. Like, I don't know how to negotiate those two. Well, I think when you have 70, over 70 former and current employees, um, it's not as it's not enough to say where there's smoke, there's fire when it's serious allegations like this and when they could result in effects of his ownership and his job. But when you have more than 70 former and current employees speaking to these allegations of racism and misogyny, when you have multiple sources, whether they be anonymous, confirming and doubling up on allegations, they have to be taken seriously. And the NBA is. The NBA has released a statement saying that they uh, that they will investigate, that they take this seriously, that, that you know they've they've contacted a law firm to start a comprehensive investigation. Also worth noting, um, you know, the, the folks who did go on the record, which includes Earl Watson, who's now an assistant for the Raptors, this will be nothing but a headache for him. There's no benefit for Earl Watson to lie in this situation. Oftentimes, I'll, I'll look at that. What would be the reason for Earl Watson? And I suppose you could say, oh, well, he, maybe he wanted to be a head coach there, or he wanted to be elevated, or he didn't like how his tenure ended, or whatever else. All of those things would be make it very difficult for him to continue on as a coach in this in this um, league if there was any expectation of of making this up or lying. That that no. that response and back and forth where he alleges that Robert Sarver said the N word and he told him you can't say that and he said it again. 
that doesn't seem to me like something you would invent for any reason, particularly if you are continuing to coach in the league and have a reputation as, as, as a coach elsewhere. So um, obviously an investigation needs to be done. But I think, Fitz, one of the things we often do when we see stuff like talking to players about their genitals and their sex lives and how good in bed their significant others are, you know, like Elle said, pantsing people or things like that, people will try to shrug them off as locker room talk, as boys will be boys, as, you know, just joking. And when people are willing to do that in front of everyone, imagine what they might be doing behind the scenes or with a small group. Imagine the ways that they might be affecting people of color, women, LGBTQIA people. If the jokes and the behaviors right up front are like that, how might they be subconsciously or intentionally affecting the jobs and experiences of people that are different than them? I don't think we dig deeply enough into that. A lot of times those are signs of much more serious behavior. And so just shrugging these off because they aren't as serious as maybe others that we've heard doesn't mean that the culture wasn't completely toxic and not a place that the NBA should be proud of. You mentioned the investigation. We'll get into what the NBA's response is going to be to that and what it could mean moving forward. We'll talk about all that next. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. More on this breaking scandal next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear hotline. We're going to get back to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And that comes in the form of the conversation we've been having about uh, an article that's out on ESPN.com that breaks down uh, an uncomfortable number of allegations of racism and misogyny within the Suns organization, specifically pointed at Robert Sarver and his 17-year tenure as one of the team's owners. Now, it is important to note that it is one of the team's owners. I know we mentioned that before, but for anyone that doesn't realize, unlike uh, past instances and conversations we've had about uh, the the Sterlings or even the Snyders in the world, there are several, I think 20 upwards or close to 20 owners uh, for the Suns. So uh, this Mm -hmm. is not one owner. This is not the owner. It's one of the owners. But there is a real conversation about what happens next from the league. The NBA Uh, has released a statement that says the allegations contained in today's ESPN article are extremely serious. We've directed the walk to Lipton law firm to commence a comprehensive investigation. The NBA and WNBA remain committed to providing a respectful, inclusive workplace for all employees. Once the investigation is completed, its findings will provide the basis for any league action. It's going to be really interesting to me, Sarah, because as we alluded to earlier, knowing that there's an existing hotline that can anonymously be called that has not been used, if the NBA goes into an investigation and finds that these allegations are true, part of what I think they're going to need to do is look at themselves and say, we need better systems to help when these things are happening because our systems obviously aren't working. Yeah, I mean, that's widespread. That's that's everywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, just fair. today alone, it was like, uh, and, and uh, my friend Maggie Hendricks, who's another female sports reporter, said, I'm going to finish reading this story about harassment in sports radio and local radio in Chicago of women, and I'm going to follow it by reading this story of harassment by Barstool. I'm going to follow that by reading the story of harassment on the Suns. It's a day, right? Like, it's one day, and you look across the landscape, and it's so widespread. And because of it being about power, and influence and control, that's the difficulty. And that's why even in a case like this where you have 70-plus people speaking, so few of them are willing to come out and not be anonymous because the repercussions 
are so severe. And it, it was even noted in an article I saw someone posit that, like, you can look at the incredibly effusive rejections of everything in the story from Robert Sarver, and you could say, wow, that's that's noteworthy. I mean, he is really adamant. They even came out before the story was published to say none of this ever happened. But so did the Blackhawks up until they couldn't anymore, right? So does a lot of people. There are a lot of very adamant rejections of things that turn out to have black and white proof on tape, on camera, by multiple witnesses. So you have to dig deeper than the person, uh, clearly, who is who is denying it, and look at the fact that 70-plus people were involved in this. Now, now, I mentioned earlier, Coach Earl Watson, who's an assistant now for the Raptors, who was the coach for the Suns, talked about at least one of the incidents. He said in a statement, I'm not interested in engaging in ongoing battle of fact. Instead, I want to applaud the courage of the numerous players, executives, and staffers for fighting toxic environments of racial insensitivity, sexual harassment, and microaggressions with their truth. Basketball in 17 years in the NBA has allowed me the financial privilege to speak my truth, but we can't forget about those who must remain silent for fear of losing their jobs. While our fortitude assists with progress, there is still more work to be done in the name of equality, and I believe that one of the strengths of our league is its ongoing commitment to justice. And he goes on. Incredibly well said. And at least in the NBA, there is a belief that they might be able to actually exact some sort of accountability here because we've seen it done before. And to Elle's point on Around the Horn earlier today, many people have made it. What happened with Donald Sterling was players who simply refused to play for him anymore. Will that happen here? Tough to say, but Brian Windhorst was on Cantia Golic Jr. and talked about how not just players, but public reaction and how severe people consider these things could have a, an effect. In the situation that happened, with Donald Sterling, there was an incredible pushback um, amongst the, the voices of the league, people like LeBron James coming out and saying he has no place in the NBA and things of this nature. How the players and the stakeholders and the people who have influence react to this, uh, how the public here in Phoenix, how the sponsors of the Suns react to this, will probably dictate what happens uh, next. Is there a public pressure campaign? Um, is, is, it, is it because it's a he said, he said situation where um, we have people saying things and Sarver denying it. Uh, will that, uh, you know, cause, you know, there, there, there to be, you know, more, more caution moving forward. Those are the things that we're, we're going to, we're not going to know. And I got to say, when I saw this story, which I saw really just a couple of hours before it published, my takeaway from it was, I don't know what the reaction is going to be. Yeah. And it's true because it's not as overt as some other cases that were so cut and dried. But Fitz, if, if people don't understand what it's like to work somewhere where you're concerned about the boss's behavior, where you have to take microaggressions on a daily basis, be asked inappropriate questions, be treated in a way that's disrespectful, either racially or because of gender, uh, the the misery of working somewhere like that day in and day out, um, they, they should talk to some folks who have had to endure it. Because it is not simply the most severe acts of aggression or sexual assault or otherwise that are tantamount to someone not deserving the job they have. It, it, it also speaks to, I mean, you can look at the turnovers, the article references, the number of coaches that Phoenix had at that point. It was a different person every year. And you, the, when the environment is that toxic, it's tougher to stay there. Now, we can make that about wins and losses, but... I would also argue that more often than not, we find out that the that the locker rooms that have had tremendous success also had a better environment than that. So, I mean, that's not always the case, but uh, more often than not, it appears to be the case. So it feels like the toxicity eventually sort of seeps into everything and every way that it's been done. 
it does feel like in order for this to really go to the next level, it's going to take a current or former player of prominence mm-hmm. stepping out and, and talking. Yep. Like that's this the, the pressure now squarely goes to on the people, the, the Chris Pauls of the world that know that culture in and out. Like that's who everybody's going to be looking at. Completely agree. And it's unfortunate that that's sometimes the case, but that is why these situations are able to endure because it's all about power. We've seen that across so many different of these instances. I'm still incredibly curious as to what else was going on with Jerry Richardson and the Panthers for that to have happened so quickly, right? We heard a lot of it, but it was like, okay, fine, I'm out of here. See ya, right? Like, I don't want you digging any further. And that's not usually the case. This is usually a knockdown, dragout fight. And I imagine this will be too, although, as we mentioned, it is a little bit easier that he is one of many owners and not in a place of prominence quite the same way as someone like Donald Sterling. But we don't have the tapes and videos and things like that just yet. Now, Adrian Wojnarowski was on this just in with Max Kellerman and talked about the kind of investigation he expects to see from the NBA to figure out what the punishment might be. This is an investigation, Max, that that may look different and, and may take more time than you saw in the Donald Sterling case with the Clippers. There was an audio tape. There was a television appearance shortly after. Uh, that was a very quick process. The Atlanta Hawks with Bruce Levinson. There were emails. Both of those instances led to teams being sold. But this is, uh, I, I think, an investigation that is going to take time. The league will have the opportunity to not just talk to people about reporting in Baxter's story, but also those uh, who may offer new information, 17 years worth of reporting for Baxter Holmes, over 70 people he interviewed for this piece. And there certainly could be and, and very likely will be more individuals available to the NBA for them to talk to. I mean, at some point, that's going to be the interesting part of it is how they go through the process what they discover in the process. Uh, it, this is just the beginning of a long investigation. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Uh, it's going to take time for this to come out. My hope is that they're transparent in the process of investigating and in the process of that transparency, we find out what's going on, how we got here, and what the next steps are. We'll keep you updated as we go through the show. But coming up, we'll get you set for the biggest Thursday night football game of the year. Sure, we'll go with that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It might not be the marquee Thursday night matchup that we would pencil in as our top choice, but... We do have an NFL football game tonight, the Jets visiting the Colts, and there are some good storylines to get into. We'll do that here at Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Let's get in the zone with the Colts ahead of tonight's game. Mike Wells, ESPN Colts reporter with us. Let's just start with logistical black and white stuff. Uh, A handful of important people out for the Colts tonight. Well, first off, Sarah, you're being very nice when you said this might not be the game that everybody's <laughs> excited about on Thursday. You don't, you don't have to try to be nice about it. I think there's probably a lot of people that feel that way, especially when you talk about the number of injuries uh, for both teams. Obviously, with the Jets, no Zach Wilson at quarterback. The Colts don't have T.Y. Hilton. Their secondary is beat up with no Kari Willis or Julian Blackman. So it, it's more a matter of which team could survive and get a victory without having any more key players get injured. 
No, you're not wrong. But you mean you're telling me this isn't as hype as, I don't know, the Cardinals taking on uh, the pack? I don't know. Okay, fine. I'll stop throwing shade on the matchup, Mike. Uh, but here's a, here's a simple question with a difficult answer, I think. Are the Colts actually any good this year? Well, the fact that they have not beaten a, a team with a winning record this season, that says everything that you need to know right now. In fact, you go back to last season, they lost eight straight games against um, mm. teams with a winning record. They are struggling in that area. And, of course, everybody's going to talk about what happened on Monday night against Baltimore when Lamar Jackson, you know, looked like a Hall of Famer against them in the final 18 minutes and then blowing a 14-point lead last weekend against the Tennessee Titans. They just don't, they don't know how to close out a game. I mean, they compete for a couple quarters, but when it's time to really, you know, kind of step up in the fourth quarter, they kind of get in the feet. They get in the fetal position, and when you can't get in the fetal position, if you expect to be a playoff caliber team, we got the official trailer for the Colts Hard Knocks in-season uh, uh, series, which is the first time we're seeing this. And you know, when they announced this right before the season started, Mike, we were kind of like, okay. Not the best team, but, like, it could be interesting as, you know, Wentz tries to reassert himself and he's got the unvaccinated storyline. If you were HBO, what part of this team would you try to convince America is interesting? Man, Sarah, you're putting me on the spot right there because (laughs) let 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 me put it in this perspective for you guys. The most interesting player for the Colts over the past five or six years was Pat McAfee. And right. let's be real, right. if, you're, if, you're per, if your punter has the best personality <laughs> on your football team, that means you are a boring, <laughs> deeping team if your punter has the biggest personality. Because the Colts, that's not the Colts mantra. They don't have the outspoken guys who want to get involved in everything. They're, they're kind of boring. I mean, you know, they're, they're basically, they took on Andrew Luck's personality for so long. A very talented football player, but horrible when it came from the Colts. Colts quote side of things. So I'm intrigued for November 17th to get here. In fact, I'm going to have to stream it online because I don't have HBO, but I want to see <laughs> what is drawing the, drawing the attention to the Indianapolis Colts because, you know, like you said, it, you have the unvaccinated side of things. I, I, in all honesty, I am intrigued to hear about the behind-the-scenes side of stuff because Jim Irsay and Chris Bauer, the general manager, were very outspoken in having, you know, the players get vaccinated. And during training camp, they had so many key players from Carson Wentz. Darius Leonard, uh, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Brady, who were not vaccinated. So I want to hear the conversations behind the scenes when the camera's in there on what mm. their sales pitch was to try to get these players vaccinated because Absolutely. Wentz is still not vaccinated, if I'm not mistaken. And the same with Darius Leonard, arguably two of the most important players on the roster. What I really hear here is one of our glorious listeners needs to tweet Mike at Mike Wells NFL and uh, get him your HBO Max login so that he can get out there and watch this. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, hey, I'll, I'll trade it for a beverage of choice in the mail if they go ahead and give me their login on HBO Max. Look at that. See, I'm, I'm, I'm facilitating Bartering. deals. Look at this. Speaking of deals, uh, there's one interesting little dramatic nugget hitting the Colts over the course of the rest of the season because, as people probably remember, they gave up a conditional draft pick when they traded for Carson Wentz. So the theory being that if Carson Wentz, or the actual trade being, if Carson Wentz plays 75% of their offensive snaps, their second-round pick becomes a first-rounder. If the Colts aren't very good and they may not make the playoffs – should they sit Carson Wentz so they don't lose a first-round pick for a quarterback that can't get them to where they want to be? That, from a competitive standpoint, that would be such a horrible decision by the Colts organization. It would basically say you're quitting. You're quitting. Can you imagine walking inside the locker room and telling Carson Wentz, who already came to Indianapolis, 
mentally and physically fragile from what happened in Philadelphia last year, and we're just going to sit you down and let Sam Ellinger become a starting quarterback, or the competitive nature of guys like Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson said, hey, we're going to go with the backup quarterback because we're not making the playoffs. You know, from a fan standpoint or the fact that you need to get some more, find, you know, get some help on the roster with a first-round pick, you get it. But from a competitive standpoint, these guys make a lot of money. The Senators said we're going to throw in the towel and sit Carson Wentz down. Because if Carson Wentz sits down, basically saying Carson Wentz is not the answer, and they drop the ball yet again at the quarterback spot. Mike Wells is with us here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Colts reporter ahead of tonight's Thursday night football matchup with the Jets. This is the first primetime game for the Colts in 1,400 days. They last hosted a primetime game on December 14th of 2017. A lot of eyeballs tonight as they try to take on probably, arguably, the best quarterback in the entire league, Mike White. Uh, what is the game plan for slowing down future Hall of Famer Mike White? Oh, let's say Jets fans are jumping up and down here, and you say that, Sarah, after all the misery they've had at the quarterback <laughs> spot over the years. Um, it, it, the interesting side is that, you know, they basically had four days to kind of prepare for Mike White, who all of a sudden looks like now people in New York are probably screaming, start Mike White over Zach Wilson, you know, the guy that the Jets traded up to get and everything. Um, the Colts run the same type of zone defense that the Bengals ones run, so they're going to expect a lot of dinking and dunking out of White. They're going to have to get pressure on him to force him into turnovers. I mean, he's thrown four interceptions in a game and a half. So the interceptions, the opportunities are going to be there, especially for the Colts. I mean, they've got eight. They're tied for the league lead in turnovers, forcing turnovers with 18. So they can't sit here and get on prime time and basically, you know, tinkle down their legs because it may be another four or five years before they get on prime time. Which, by the way, I still think the NFL is making them pay for Chuck Pagano and that horrible fake punt against the Patriots in 2015. That's why they don't want him on prime time anymore. <laughs> All right, so, so at the end of the day, we've just presumed through all of this because the Colts have had a good roster and we feel like they have a good coach, but now we're seeing all of the information. Like, if they don't make the playoffs this year, are all the jobs – like, are we going to start looking at Frank Reich differently if they don't make the playoffs? No. no. Um, Jim Mercer gave Ballard and Reich a contract extensions in the offseason. He's sticking in. He's going to ride this for the long haul. But I, I believe this is Frank Reich's toughest quarter, toughest challenge as from a from a coaching standpoint since he got hired in 2018. He got somewhat of a free pass in 2019 when Andrew Luck surprised everybody by retiring two weeks before the season. But this is where you see the type of coach that Frank is. And here's my prediction, guys: the Colts will win tonight. Then they'll beat they'll beat um, you know Mr. Bar Harper, Urban Meyer, and the Jaguars in a week. Mm-hmm. Then they'll be five and five, and the people will get excited. But then they'll get back to reality when they go on the road to play Buffalo and then Tom Brady comes into Lucas Oil Stadium and then they're 5-7. and seven. You know, until they learn how to beat a team with a winning record or a playoff-caliber team, nobody's going to take the Indianapolis Colts serious. Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, this won't do that, but it'll help. Can't hurt. Uh, might as well win this one <laughs> and then uh, find a winning team to beat as well. Mike, thanks for the insight. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. All right, you guys, you guys take care. And uh, hey, Fitz, I, hey, let me know when you get that HBO login for me, please. Yeah, brother. that's right. You that's know right. I got you, brother. We'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> Mike Wells, ESPN Colts. Just expense it. It's your, it's your beat. Just buy it and expense it. What are we doing here? ESPN can pay for it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jace Fitz. Coming up, Aaron Rodgers' absence has presented an opportunity for Jordan Love and the Packers. We'll talk about that side of the story next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance, proud to support veterans with their annual Keys to Progress vehicle giveaway program, now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Ready to die sounds like the Jets going into every game. Although, with Mike White, <laughs> you just never know, do you? There is some intrigue in tonight's Thursday Night Football game. We'll get you updates on that when that gets going. But we've got our eyes on another game this weekend that, you know, would have been interesting, would have had plenty of storylines regardless with the Packers trying to keep moving their way towards a first-round bye, which only one team, uh, you know, will be getting. It's a little bit tougher to achieve this year because of the expanded playoffs. So they're trying to make their way there, facing up against a Chiefs team that evened up their record at 500, but it's looked pretty bad. Didn't definitively and decidedly beat a Giants team that had no business being in the game. So we were pumped for this. Until Aaron Rodgers gets COVID, is ruled immediately out because he's unvaccinated. Could even be out next week as well because he's set to be able to practice for the first time the Saturday of next week. But focusing on this weekend, we now have the opportunity to see Jordan Love play. And Fitz, I would argue you can't find a better scenario for this than this one. Aaron Rodgers is not injured with question marks about whether he should make himself play a la Dak Prescott against the Vikings recently. So there isn't that consternation about whether they're making the wrong move, sitting him and letting Jordan Love take the reins. There is a bit of frustration and anger towards Aaron Rodgers now by those who believed him to be vaccinated and now judge him for not being available for his team, for making the selfish decision to remain unvaccinated, thereby making it more difficult to play on Sundays when he did contract COVID-19. And there's a real curiosity for Jordan Love, who by all accounts, even before this particular disruption from Aaron Rodgers, was set to be the starter next year. Most people believe Aaron Rodgers is out, although their success this year did have people sort of wondering if they could mend fences enough to go, go another round next year. But they're getting to look at him, and they're getting to look at him in a way that I think puts him in the best possible situation. If he plays poorly, they'll say, well, he was unfairly thrust into action, wasn't ready. If he plays decent, they'll be like, ah, oh, something to build on. And if he's great, everyone's fired up for next year. And, and, and in no way is it his fault, this situation, nor will they be mad that he's in there instead of Aaron Rodgers because they don't have a choice. This is like prime situation for Jordan Love. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I think the just the fact that he's going to get to play and he's also not going to have to come home at the end of the night and find the stat line for wherever Aaron Rodgers now is is also just such an added right. benefit. Like, if you think right. about what it's like so to be true. Mac Jones, like, like every single time Mac Jones does everything, he's got to turn around and be like, yeah, well, what's what's Tom Brady doing? Like, Jordan doesn't have to deal with any of that. So they get a little peek, and we have seen that quarterbacks getting a little peek can have a lot of success, right? So it can be a nice confidence builder. Like, he can go in. We, we joke about all the backup quarterbacks last week that had tremendous success. Well, he can go in and do that. And if he goes in and has tremendous success, particularly taking on a questionable Chiefs defense, like all of these things sort of line up to allow him to have a really big game, which can be enough to build his confidence, build the organization's confidence in him, build the fans' confidence in him, and let everybody say, okay, we're in a pretty good spot. Like that's such a different approach to every single ounce of what he'll do when he steps on the field than it would be if it's week one of next year and Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback somewhere else. Yeah, you're so right, because the the fan base knows we'll be headed back to Aaron Rodgers, no matter what kind of game he has. He could Mike White it out there, and he's still not going to supplant <laughs> Aaron Rodgers this year. 
but they can get excited and they can take whatever this experience is and build it towards their expectations for next year. All of this could serve him very well. Again, it wouldn't be great if he came out and laid an egg, but it would be less terrible than if it was week one next year with the season stretching out in front of them, believing that he is the answer and he is their only answer. Uh, so I, I feel like he is in well, a good position. And Chris Canty on uh, Canty and Golick Jr. today seemed to agree. It's one of those things, man. It's an opportunity for Jordan Love, who all of a sudden becomes somebody that everybody is rooting for just because of Aaron Rodgers and the audacity that he had with misleading the media when it came to his vaccination status. So Aaron went from being somebody that we felt was done wrong by the Green Bay Packers front office in terms of not roping him in in the decision to draft Jordan Love, how they mistreated other Green Bay Packers players on the way out of the door. Like, Aaron was a sympathetic figure this offseason, and now all of a sudden that's kind of turned on its head, and he's being vilified, and rightfully so, because it was wrong of what he did. Um, but certainly within all of this is an opportunity for Jordan Love to prove what he can do in this league in a meaningful game. And all of a sudden now all of America is kind of rooting for Jordan Love to see to see if the kid can actually go out there and play well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sarah, I would also say that if he goes out, and let's say in this magical scenario he gets two games. You know, he gets the Chiefs and then the following game against, I think it's the Seahawks, right? Yep. So you get two straight games. If he's awful, well, then it may help answer some of the questions if you're the Packers and you're like, how far down this Aaron Rodgers hole do we need to go? It could help answer some of that. If he's awful and you look at it and say, yeah, he's just not the guy, at least you're getting the answers now while you can still try and yeah. find some way to mend the fences. So, like, in a lot of ways, strangely, all of this plays out in a way that could help Jordan Love. It could help uh, the Packers as an organization. I mean, everybody but Aaron Rodgers gets a little opportunity for, you know, this is like a hall pass. You get that one hall pass, but there's actually going to be no judgment when it's all said and done. That's, that's a unique situation to be in. I'm never going to say no judgment uh, because I live on planet Earth and it is not possible yeah. for literally anything to happen without somebody being mad about it or passing judgment. Fair. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, by the way, talking about uh, Jordan Love getting the opportunity this weekend in place of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, there were a lot of question marks that we had still remaining about um, Aaron Rodgers' situation. And I think that's also going to play a role in this. I think most of us, and correct me if I'm wrong on you, Fitz, but we're all sort of fairly certain that the NFL is not going to throw the book at the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Um, no, if it had not, been yeah. someone else potentially, but it feels like despite very overtly and obviously violating protocols all season long, if they haven't acted on it yet, it feels like they were somehow complicit in allowing him to prevent the public from knowing his status, prevent the criticism that would come from his choice. And I don't know that now they would be able to throw the book at him without people saying, wait a minute, if you've been watching this all season, why now and why this? That's not a fair right. Like You didn't get it right the first time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get it right now. But I don't have high expectations for them to, to, to bring down too much of a punishment. But there is a possibility. And so as you're watching Jordan Love play this weekend and maybe next weekend, knowing that Aaron Rodgers hasn't been wearing a mask for indoor press conferences, knowing that he did a State Farm commercial, which, oddly enough, is another violation. You're not allowed to do promotional campaigns and sponsorships if you're unvaccinated during the season this year. That was one of the other ways that the league was trying to prevent players from choosing that route. Um, also, uh, you know, going to the Halloween party. Wasn't allowed yeah. to do that. Uh, wasn't allowed to be multiple teammates and multiple people from the team in one room, all of that stuff. Um, there have been other teams fined 
the Saints, the Raiders, the Titans, the Patriots, the Ravens. Saints were also stripped of a, of a draft pick. The Raiders lost a draft pick because of the protocol violations. So very interesting to see now what the NFL does with the Packers and Rodgers and whether that carries over to anything in terms of missing time beyond what we already know he will. Well, and interesting to see how direct everybody is in the line of questioning and in the way they're handling Aaron, because presumably when he comes back to the podium at some point, he's going to be wearing a mask, which will immediately lead to the question of why weren't you and what punishment have you had? And I think there are direct direct questions. Part of what, you know, we even sort of heard a little bit of the sentiment from Jason Wilde yesterday, ESPN Milwaukee, talking about, you know, how closely he covers Aaron and how he should have seen, in his mind, he should have seen through the difference in words of immunization and vaccination. Well, if that's the way everybody feels, I think what you're going to get is a, a very direct line of questioning if he's made available to that extent, right? So I, I can't imagine Aaron better be very prepared for the questions he's going to get because every single thing he does now and every single dollar he has or hasn't been fined will all be scrutinized at a much higher level because, frankly, there's already a lack of trust now between whatever his answers might be and the actuality of the situation. Yeah, I, I mean, he's really going to – and I'm, I'm curious to see somebody who always believes himself to be the smartest man in the room who has gone out of his way at times to blame almost anybody but himself for a variety of things, including his own behaviors and selfishness. It's always his teammates. It's always the coach. It's always the draft. It's always the media. It's always, you know, whatever. Apparently now science. Um, I'm very interested to see how he decides to cobble together an excuse, a response, and what he'll say going forward. Because uh, for some people, there will be nothing he can say for those he tries to salvage, uh, for those who will love him because he's a good football player. That's the people I'm wondering what he's going to try to do to appeal to them. Yeah, he's also smart enough to have a very structured answer. So if it's not a good answer, I'll be very stunned. He's a, he's a smart right. enough guy to know what he wants to say. We know by now uh, he is very specific about his word choice. Also, yesterday someone called him Throw Rogan uh, as sort of uh, the smartest dumb guy. Uh, that I, I am deceased from that one. Baxter Holmes, uh, the author of that scathing Suns report, going to join us next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, happy Thursday, Thursday Night Football. Get you updated on how that's going in a little bit. We also are going to talk to Bill Barnwell about roughly the first half. It's a little tougher with the 17-game season, but roughly the first half of the NFL season. He's going to give us his biggest surprises through about a half. Biggest surprise at team, offense, defense, quarterback, player, and coach. We'd like to hear yours as well. You can hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Give us some of your surprises. We'll see if they match up with Bills. We'll talk about that later in the show. But here on Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, we're going to have here with us now in the Goodyear Hotline, the author of the story that really dropped a bomb on the NBA today, Baxter Holmes, ESPN senior NBA writer. Uh, this story was uh, a long time coming. In fact, there were statements denying some of the reporting before it even hit. Uh, and Baxter, that's what I want to start with first. The Suns obviously knew this coming. You had spoken to them, requested comment. You had over 70 sources with the allegations of racism, misogyny against uh, Robert Sarver. Uh, what was your response when before the story hit, there were already these denials being being printed? Oh, well, uh, maybe a first for me. Can't, not sure right. if I've uh, uh, dealt with that before in my career, but nothing... I would say changed all that much on our end. We were 
going through the, the process of trying to make sure everything was as accurate and as fair and as confirmed um, as could be. But I, I definitely recognize that the awareness of this story uh, was out there. And, and, and uh, you know, so it, anyways, the last couple of weeks were kind of interesting in that regard. But, you know, we're still just doing the work and trying to get this story to the finish line and, and, uh, all, and all of that. Baxter, one of the things Sarah and I were discussing earlier, trying to wrap my head around, is why the anonymous hotline hasn't been used that's available, the NBA makes available, and there's been no complaints. Did you, in the sense of your reporting and, and talking to so many people, were you able to get a sense to why the systems weren't used? No, you know, and, and um, I have to be candid with you. I actually just spoke to a current staffer who told me that nobody knew about the hotline. Kind of an interesting thing. They hmm. uh, brought that up to me just now. Uh, but but I want to take a step back. And when uh, the NBA uh, put out that uh, statement, that, or when they, I, sh- I should say, when they responded to our question about that, noted that, one of the initial things that came to mind for me was how people talked about the HR department. And in a culture of fear and intimidation, not feeling comfortable to bring issues forward for fear of retaliation. Right. And, you know, people describing kind of a culture of complicity, a culture of silence, even people in HR describing how they would privately tell staffers that there was nothing they could do to resolve these issues and that their best course of action was to just sue the organization. So those things kind of came to mind. But, yeah, I can't I can't speak necessarily to why. Um, the NBA hotline, you know, uh, wasn't utilized, I guess. To that point, and Baxter Holmes is with us here on Spain and Fitz. He wrote the story about the Suns. You can read it on ESPN.com. Headline is allegations of racism and misogyny within the Phoenix Suns inside Robert Sarver's 17-year tenure as owner. To your point about reporting, I thought the statement from Earl Watson today was spectacular. Um, now an assistant coach with the Raptors. And he, he applauded the courage of the people who were willing to speak to you. When you first got word of this, and I won't ask how it first came to you unless you feel comfortable sharing that, but when you first heard, um, was it difficult to get people to speak to you? And how how long did it take you to find those 70-plus people who felt comfortable enough talking? Uh, that's a, It's a good question. And the first thing I'd say is, you know, my impressions of the Suns and under Robert Sarver, I guess maybe him, was, you know, this was a team that uh, – for 10 years was at the bottom of the NBA standings, turned through a ton of head coaches, Earl being one of them, general managers. And if you looked at their media guide, you'd see in the staff directory that there was a lot of turnover in many other departments as well. It just wasn't on basketball operations. And the only thing I knew, you know, we'd, we'd done stories, others had done stories that touched on Roberts, um, I, I guess a penchant for being frugal, mm. uh, penchant for potentially being involved in certain instances in basketball operations to a degree that, might have impaired their ability to compete. I, you could call that meddling. I didn't have any idea of the depths of what people, staffers would describe as the, the workplace being. And it unfolded rather quickly. I, 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 I will be, I could share this. Wow. There came a point when people started calling me hmm. to talk about what they witnessed, what they endured. Um, and that was, that was pretty striking. Um, is, yeah, so the, the number filled up quite quite quickly. And, and look, for as many as I talked to, it's 70 current and former. I probably I reached out to, I don't know how many more. Um, I didn't tally it up, but easily well over 100. So certainly trying to reach as many people as I could 
um, as I as I try on a lot of these stories to get the the most accurate, fair, roundest, fullest portrait of a of a situation. In getting that portrait, did you get a sense that the other owners of the Suns were aware of the culture that Sarver had created? It's a it's a good question. I'm not sure to the to the degree that certain owners or members of the ownership group were aware. One thing I would note um, is that not all members of an ownership group are going to be as they don't maybe don't work in an organization. You know, they may just have X amount of shares and live, I don't know, on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. They're, you know, on a quarterly calls or things to look at the financial numbers or, you know, but they're not there day to day as certain staffers are. So, um, you know, it's hard to say how many of them knew or how many of them were just absentee uh, members of the ownership group who were off running their other businesses involved in their other financial affairs, things of that nature. I I really don't have an answer. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Baxter Holmes on the Goodyear Hotline about his story about the toxic culture at the Suns involving owner Robert Sarver. I was surprised um, that Steve Kerr chose to defend Sarver and made a statement, um, not because I'm not used to uh, friends or, you know, peers, defending the actions of owners, coaches, et cetera, but because of Steve Kerr's very progressive, thoughtful stances on so many things. And I I was shocked that he was among several folks who decided to overtly defend, um, despite the fact that there were 70-plus people on record. Uh, What do you make of some of the folks who came out to to defend Sarver today? Well, I think as we note in the story, the Suns, recommended a list of individuals through their, their legal team to speak about Robert on behalf of Robert. Um, I don't know what the correct phrase there is. And many of them said the same kinds of things. I think as Steve illustrated that, you know, he could be either difficult or hard charging, demanding, I think was some of the common phrases, but in terms of racism and misogyny, um, they didn't know, you know, that wasn't the person they know, but it was, I will say it was kind of interesting because at, to go back to one of your earlier questions, they weren't necessarily responding to my reporting so much as they were responding maybe to what was in the son's statement before. So I don't know. It, it, you know, everybody has a right to say whatever they want. And, and uh, certainly, and I think in some ways, if uh, depending on, you know, like with Steve, as is noted in the story, he hasn't worked there for 10 years. Um, so there's there's some level of distance with certain individuals, and they may only see a certain side of Robert that others may not see, or things of that nature. So it's it's complicated. What's next for the league, from what you understand, Baxter? Yeah, well, they announced that they're going to be conducting an investigation, and my colleague Adrian Wojnarowski and I, you know, reported. Um, I spoke to uh, current staffers today who described a groundswell of support uh, for that inside the organization that there are several staffers, many who are more than willing to talk, uh, but that there, there are concerns about retaliation, potential retaliation, I should say from Sun's leadership. And so wanting to be sure that they can be uh, promised, you know, confidentiality and protected. But I, I'm very eager to, to, to see what the NBA finds. Um, you know, there's, there's been past 
investigations, obviously, whether you know involving, I think as we note in our story, um, involving uh, Atlanta, the Mavericks, the Clippers. So, yeah, there'll, there'll be a lot of eyes on this one, that's for sure. We appreciate the time. Really uh, excellent reporting, and we look forward to the follow-ups on it. Thanks, Baxter. Thanks, Baxter. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Baxter Holmes, ESPN senior NBA writer. And we do encourage you to read the full story. I know stories like this sometimes long form. People just get the the snippets from uh, other sites or from listening to the radio. And it's it's worth reading the full story over on ESPN.com. Baxter brought to you by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear more driven. Coming up, we're going to take a look at our preseason NFL picks. I'm terrified to see what we thought the league would look like around the halfway point it's next you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast it's a 17 week season now for the nfl so usually right when week eight ends we could say we're at the halfway point we're not quite uh but we're gonna go ahead and consider this roughly halfway for the purposes of today's surprises at the half which we'll talk to bill barnwell about in about 15 minutes right here on spain and fitz but now we're going to look back at our preseason predictions for the divisions and, and see how we're doing so far. I'm a little concerned, mainly because we did bet on who would have the best finish. And uh, the loser has to do a polar plunge completed before the end of the month of February. So how we're doing now uh, will will uh, give us a bit of a sign of whether or not we have a very cold uh, dive taking place in just a few months uh, but, here. But here's one thing we didn't really clarify. What... What constitutes best? Like the most teams that finish in their right spot or the most division I think winners? We should probably like, figure that out right now before yeah, we look at this and see we get, where we're, That's what why we, I'm maybe, asking now. Like there's no accident here, you know. Uh, uh, do you get a point for each one in the correct spot and do we just leave it at that? So that if you or do oh, or yeah. are you like are you are you dinged if you had someone last and they were second versus, you know. I mean, that's the question. Do you get a point if you have them in the right spot and a point you lose a point for every spot away from the right spot? That that gets convoluted too. That's like, I don't, very tricky. I don't know. Like, right, we'll what if you're really this. wrong on a team? I, we'll I, we'll I, need to we'll need to figure that out. We'll we, let Stosh figure out the yeah, scoring Stosh, system. Yeah, Stosh, you're in charge of Stosh, the scoring system. you figure system. out how this is all scored. Okay. We're not smart yeah. enough for these things. Yeah. It's Bain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget Stosh, to tune I into the That's so What She cash. Said podcast. Hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Sarah McLaughlin on the podcast this week. Check it out. All right, let's get into these picks. Stash, yeah, we're going to have to figure out the point system, and we're not going to allow Fitz to bribe you. That's I've just, got that's dozens just not, of dollars. Not dozens. right. Dozens of dollars at stake here. All right, we're going to start in the AFC East. Just a reminder for everybody who is not paying attention, the current standings in the AFC East are the Bills, Patriots, Jets, and then Dolphins. Uh, Fitz had it. Bills, Dolphins. Patriots, Jets. Yeah, the one in seven Dolphins, second in the AFC East, according to Fitz. I had Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. So, yeah, I mean, much closer. I think Sarah gets a point, and I think Jason gets like negative five. Right, right, right. Okay, so we'll, we'll, well, listen, it's only halfway. Nothing sticks yet, but uh, not looking good for you, Fitz. All right, the AFC North currently sitting at. Ravens, Bengals, Steelers, Browns. Now the Ravens are five and two, while the Bengals are five and three. So again, this has to shake out over the whole length of the season. But right now, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers, Browns. 
I said Browns, Ravens, Steelers, Bengals. Yeah. And so did Fitz. Oh. Right. Yeah. So we're both in a bit of a mess thus far. Uh, but uh, the Browns uh, could still make something happen. Uh, the AFC South. How it looks now is uh, we got the Titans, then the Colts, Jags, and Texans. Texans currently below the Jags at 1-7, and seven, while the Jags are just 1-6 so far. Titans run away with it. Colts sitting back at 3-5. and five. Uh, we both had the Colts. I'm sorry, the Titans, Colts, Jags, Texans. Been, look oh, at look us. At look at that. Very proud of us. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling good about that. We're uh, back on our, track. And let's get to the AFC West. I'm a little concerned about this one. AFC West. The AFC West is Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos. Now, at this point, the Raiders up five and two at the top. Chargers right behind at four and three, and then the Chiefs and Broncos both sitting at four and four right now. Anybody's division, really. I had the, oh, this is not going to go well for me. I had the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, and then the Raiders. Stosh, that's got to be, that's like a negative 74 points for that. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Let's take it get too far. You had the Chiefs. The Raiders, then the Chargers, and the Broncos. I yeah, think, think neither of us nailing no that right now. You get no points for being a homer and having the Raiders. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Uh, we won't even get into the playoffs and wild cards and all that that are not necessarily looking good for us just yet. Let's get over to the NFC. Uh, for those of you who are uh, not uh, haven't memorized the standings, the NFC East right now, the Cowboys on top at 6-1, and one, <laughs> then the Eagles, then Washington, then the Giants. Uh, Fitz and I both had the Washington football team sitting in first place. Yoinks. Yep. Uh, we I, had I Washington. The minute you said the East, I was like, we were yeah, both high on we Washington. We were both off. We had Washington Cowboys. Or maybe we Cowboys. were both high. I don't know. Yeah, that, that probably both. We had Washington Cowboys, Giants, Eagles. Instead, it is Cowboys, Eagles, Washington, Giants. Both way off. That Washington defense, for me, when we talk to Bill Barnwell next segment, will be among the biggest surprises. And by surprises, I mean disappointments of the first half. They, they're just trash. Yeah, uh, and no, that was a I, defense we expected a lot out of. I, I, yes, absolutely. And in fact, I mean, I came in saying between an offense that looked like it had the opportunity to be competent, slightly yep. better quarterback play, yep. they had no reason to not win the division. And now they just look absolutely lost with no identity as a team. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but we're both off on that one. At least we'll ride together into the wrongness. Uh, the NFC West. Currently, Cardinals and Rams both at 7-1, and one, then the Niners and the Seahawks. You had the Rams, 49ers, Cardinals, and then Seahawks. So not, not, not too far off other than the 3-4 and four 49ers. I had the 49ers, mm. then the Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals last. No, really bad. Really, really bad. That's not going to be good for me down the stretch. Oh, no. That is, that is painful because, you know, you, you, we all know going into this that it's not going to play out well. The one thing you don't want to be is so drastically wrong on one of the best teams, and yeah. that's what we both yeah. managed to do throughout yeah. this process. That's like the, not great. It's not good. It's not, not great. Okay, the NFC North. I feel better about this. You had the Packers, Bears, Vikings, Lions, and so did I. The actual standings are Packers, Vikings, Bears, and Lions. 
But the Vikings are three and four and the Bears are three and five. Plenty of time for that to shake out. So we're doing okay on that one. Yeah, I feel good pretty good about that. Like I mean that half game will work itself out and the Bears are the Bears are gonna get there. Like I uh, the Bears sure. was a bit of a homer pick for me. So you know I'm just going to yeah, appreciate along with you. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh the NFC South currently sitting at Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. Oops. Your selections were Bucks, Falcons, Panthers, Saints. The Falcons, Oops. huh? Falcons? Uh, yeah. Huh. Okay. I blame Harry Douglas. He must have been uh, in my, like he must have put something uh-huh. on the team. I had the Bucks, Saints, Panthers, and Falcons. Why that is the exact standings. Oh wow. Wow. Nailed it. Yeah, that's right. So uh I think we might be kind of even-ish in terms of our failures. I wasn't yeah. writing down the scores, and of course Dash will eventually be in charge of all that, but I think we both had some pretty boneheaded moves, and then we did all right for some of them. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, nobody should bet on our picks. That's the real lesson we've learned here. There's no. Well, doubt. that's also the problem with us getting bumped so repeatedly for baseball of late is we haven't been able to revel in our rightness on our weekly picks. It's yeah, been a while since percent. we got to make them. You are but right. We're good at that. I I think I'm somewhere around the lines of twenty and one or something like that. Uh, we got to get back to that this week, and we will. But first, Bill Barnwell is going to join us next to talk about the surprises of the first half of the NFL season. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Always wearing a suit and tie with our show. Bill Barnwell, ESPN <laughs> senior writer, joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Bill, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We're going to have some fun getting some answers from you on big surprises. But before we do that, we had a couple other quick things we wanted to ask you about around the NFL in general, my friend. And let's start with the quarterback situation in New York. You've watched it. Why was Mike White able to be more successful than Zach Wilson in this offense in one outing? I think they kept it simple. You know, so many of his passes are within five, six yards of the line of scrimmage. And you want your quarterback, ideally, to do more than that. But, hey, I mean, the formula worked. I think they protected the football well, and they didn't get too far behind. Like, I think if the Jets had fallen back by 14 points or 17 points, like they did against the Patriots, that would have been a nightmare for Mike White. But that never happened. Mike White got to stay in the game, doing what he was doing, and it worked out pretty well. Expectations for tonight to be similar or a big drop-off? Ah, uh, it's it's not off to a great start, Sarah. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, like it's early. The Colts, it's early. I, I think are a tough matchup. Yeah, okay. I mean, like you know, I think Mike White is fine. You know, but, but again, I want to see what happens if they do get by down 14 points. Like, can he throw deep? Can he throw when the team knows the pass is coming? Like, I think that the Colts get ahead early, which I think is going to happen. That's going to be a problem. Okay, one other team that obviously we've got our eyes on, or what the Titans are going to look like without Derrick Henry, who is having an MVP caliber season. What do you expect Mm -hmm. from Tannehill in that offense at this point? Yeah, I think they're going to have to kind of try out different identities without Derrick Henry. This is a guy who, you know, not only was getting the most carries in the history of the National Football League for a running back in eight games, but a guy who was, you know, a big part of their play-action game, a guy who worked in short yardage for them. Like, they're not going to have one guy replace Derrick Henry. So to me, I think, they're going to try Adrian Peterson and try and still be a very run-heavy team, even if not maybe quite as run-heavy as they've been in years past. But if that doesn't work, then I think you're going to have to see Tannehill come out and be the guy who was the focal point of that offense to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. He hasn't been that guy really in Tennessee, and we'll see if he can do it. Certainly talented receivers there, but um, asking a lot more of Tannehill than the, than the Titans have over the last couple of years up to this point. 
Bill Barnwell of the Bill Barnwell Podcast, ESPN senior writer with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, do you think Odell's going to land somewhere? I imagine that he will not be, uh, you know, he'll have to clear waivers and everything because no one wants to pay that. But once he can be mm-hmm. picked up at a different fee, uh, do you imagine he'll land? Yes, for sure. I think someone's going to give him a shot. There's just too much talent there. There's too much history there. Like if you, if you're the team that signs Odell Beckham for $2 million and he is a superstar again, like you're going to feel like the biggest geniuses on the planet. So to me, I, I think the saints make the most sense, a very professional team, a veteran team, a locker room that I think is going to really cherish him being there and a, a community that's going to cherish him being there. A guy who grew up in the New Orleans area, went to high school in New Orleans, college at LSU. Like, he's a folk hero in Louisiana. So to me, I think Odell Beckham, uh, in terms of landing in the right spot, might be more important, landing in the best spot in terms of winning a Super Bowl or in terms of great offense. But I think that the, uh, the Saints just make so much sense for him through the end of the year. Deshaun Jackson cleared waivers also, though. Which wide receiver would you rather add to your team today? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a very spicy question. I would say Odell, but I think it depends on the team. I think for the Chargers, for example, I love Deshaun Jackson going to the Chargers because they really need that deep threat to unlock defenses. But I think for most teams, you know, just putting a guy in the lineup, I think I'd prefer Odell. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, should we get to the surprises? Yeah, or do you want to? Should we ask about Jordan Love quick? Because I did. We talked about Jordan Love oh, earlier. Yeah. What a great opportunity this is for him because they can't want Aaron Rodgers. He's not available. They get a look at him. Everyone's kind of mad at Aaron Rodgers. This this could be great for him, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like it's a free roll. You know, like I feel like if, if Jordan Love's bad, then hey, like whatever. You know, we had to come in because of COVID. It's still got plenty of time to develop. Uh, it's the Chiefs. You know, the the pressure's there, so it's just a bad game. But if he's good. Then suddenly people are like, wow, hey, we're good for the next 10 years. We don't have to worry about mm-hmm. making Aaron Rodgers happy or dealing with every sort of, you know, uh, a negative look he has on the sideline. So to me, I think it's a win-win for Jordan Love. I think this is going to be an okay game for them. They're going to run the ball effectively. And the Chiefs will be worst play-action defense in all of football. I think you're going to see a very logical game plan for the Packers, running the ball, play-action, taking advantage of what the Chiefs really can't stop so far this season. Talking to ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All right, now we'll get to some of the superlatives, if we will, or surprises. So this can be a positive or a negative. Bill, we'll let you take it however you want to be. Let's get some of your biggest surprises as we are at what we're calling the midway point in a 17-week season. Mm-hmm. So mid-season, your biggest surprise at, as a team would be? The Dolphins. I mean, this is a team I expected to take that next step forward, be a playoff contender, possibly even win the AFC East, and they're just lost. They feel like they have taken such a major step backwards. They There's so few guys in this team that suddenly feel like they're you know, core components of a Super Bowl caliber team. It just feels like they're just as lost as they were two years ago before this rebuild even began. You know what? I agree with you, and that's why one of my surprises was Flores, who we talked about mm-hmm. not long ago as being ahead of where we expected and uh, ready to make that flip and instead the opposite. So would you say for coaches, biggest surprise or is there someone else? Yeah, I would put him in there for sure. I said Urban Meyer just because I think, you know, at the end of the day, like sure, he might've been very, very naive and stupid and short-sighted with his behavior off the field. I think people maybe expected that. I at least expected him to be a competent offensive coach. And we're now halfway through the season, and that offense looks like it's never played together every time they get on the football field. It's really embarrassing to see how bad that offense has been around Trevor Lawrence. So to me, I think Flores is a totally viable pick, but I would throw Urban Meyer in that mix as well. Oh, but you were surprised. Uh, that's your fault. 
So yeah. sorry. <laughs> I mean, for real, Bill. Like, I'm never going to say that I know more than you about really anything football related, except if you're surprised by that, what are you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm, I'm human, okay? I can't get everything right. I screw things up all the time, all and right. you're a very smart person. So Thank I'm you. I, I, I will that. happily defer to you on this one. Yeah, well, I'm not very smart, so I'll take all the help I can possibly get here. Your biggest surprise at quarterback this season, other than Derek Carr, because that should definitely be your answer, would be? Derek Carr's been good the past couple of years. I just he's good again this year. He's I would say great. Baker. He's great. In terms Bill, of he's just, transcendent. You know, I, I like this is a guy who we know. Hey, year two in that like Shanahan Kubiak system that Kevin Stefanski runs, there's MVP upside for some of those guys. Matt Ryan was an MVP in year two. Aaron Rodgers an MVP in year two in that offense. Baker Mayfield looked like he was taking the leap at the end of last year. I know the shoulder impacts things, but he has been very ordinary, struggled mightily under pressure. Really looks like like, like he's kind of in that now Kirk Cousins tier. Like, okay, if Oof. everything is perfect around him, he can win, but he's not that guy who's going to elevate the guys around him and, and win games on his own. And I think that's very disappointing if you're a Browns fan. Absolutely. We're talking to Bill Barnwell about the biggest surprises, good and bad, through roughly the first half of the NFL season here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about players outside of the – quarterback position you could choose just one or you could go one defensive one offensive Ooh, i i think there's a really obvious one to me and that's cooper cup you know like i i i, I thought cooper cup was going to be good this year and i know getting matthew stafford was going to help cooper cup is on pace for like 1965 yards and 21 touchdowns like if you have cooper cup in your fantasy league you're winning your fantasy league it's really just that simple i've been amazed with how consistent he's been in terms of like calvin johnson level production and then the other side of the ball i think i'd say trevon Diggs. Ah, kind of okay, mine, yeah. you know, second year corner you know going to be taking a step forward trevon Diggs like looks like he's like dick lebeau uh <laughs> transported into 2021 like he's going to have some crazy interception total at the end of the season he's been super valuable for the cowboys and a big reason why they've taken a big leap forward in the nfc east <sighs> I got you guys ever heard of Max Crosby? I, I mean, not, not that I'm homering oh, here. I'm, I'm oh, saying okay, I'm always homering. I am always homering. All right. So give me, uh, Bill, I'm going to challenge you here. In the second half of the season, who do you think will be the biggest surprise that's, that we're not talking about now? By the end of the year, we will be. Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to look a lot better at the end of the year <laughs> than they did a week ago. Now, granted, they just blew out um, the Lions. I think that was maybe the first step. I know they play the Chargers this week. That's going to be tough, but their schedule, oh, boy, does it get easy. Giants, Jets, Washington, Giants, Washington. I mean, Saints with a backup quarterback. Like, it, it's going to be pretty breezy for the Eagles. So, to me, I think they're going to be a team where by the end of the year, we're looking at them as like, wow, they're in great shape. But they have all those first-round picks. They have a bunch of young talent to work with. Right now, they kind of seem like they're a bit of a mess. I think they're going to look a lot better by the time we get to the end of 2021. All right, last one for you, Bill. I need a defense and an offense phase of the game. Uh, I know mine is the Washington football team defense is the most surprising and disappointing. <laughs> what do you got for defense and offense? I, I was going to do Raiders, but because Fitz could not resist mm -hmm. the urge to, to sneak that Max Crosby mm -hmm. reference in there, I'm going to say the Bengals. The Bengals defense wow. is very wow. impressive. I think a lot of free agents there that I thought maybe weren't going to wow. be great fits. They've really coalesced together and come together. And I think for the offense, like, how do you pick anybody but the Kansas City Chiefs? Like, every week we're kind of sitting here thinking, okay, this is the week they're going to figure it out. It's the Giants on Monday Night Football. This is the Mahomes 454-yard, you know, four-touchdown game. And they have the same problems week after week. I've never seen a team throw more tipped interceptions in my life than the Chiefs have done over the past few years. They're a mess right now. 
And I think that if they can just fix the turnovers, they can be fine. But the turnovers are, and they have more turnovers so far this year than in any season during the Patrick Holmes era over the entire campaign. Uh, They're such a mess right now, and I could not have anticipated that happening. To me, I think the Chiefs are the obvious pick on the offensive side of the ball. Stash is going to cut off your connection (laughs) after you said (laughs) that that team is the best matchup for Jordan Love, and now it's, you know. (laughs) Yeah, on top of that, he, like, let's just not gloss over the fact that he pooed all over my Raiders. I mean, that just happened, Bill Barmore. Like, there's only one great fits to use your word, and you're on my show. I don't, uh, that's the best I can do. Bill, (laughs) we appreciate your time, my friend. I, I always appreciate your insights. And, you know, I'm just going to continually try and gently homer you over to the dark side of the force. We appreciate you hanging out with me. Thanks so much, guys. You know what, Sarah? I, what? I don't know. Now that he's gone, I don't know if I appreciate him that much. Well, you know he, he what? You tried to weasel your opinions into a segment that was about Bills, and I just don't know that he appreciated that. No, I also did that, it. but he didn't seem to have a problem with it. Yeah, it's because you're brilliant, and I'm not. In <laughs> fact, the world needs our opinions. Bill just gave us his thoughts on surprises. We'll give you some of ours. Plus, we'll get you caught up on the football game happening right now. It all coming up next. It all coming up next. I'm also wow, going to learn English. It you all smart coming good. up next, y'all. That's on Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We will be off again tomorrow night for the World Series, Game 6, but it will be here on ESPN Radio. Coverage starts at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. By the way, we asked you earlier in the show, I did because Fitz was uh, delinquent in his duties as always, doing a completely different show during the show that has his name on it, but that's a conversation for another time. I asked you, because of the win last night, the comeback dramatic win by the Astros after giving up a grand slam early in the game, do you feel like momentum has shifted? So even though the Braves still have the upper hand in terms of the uh, three to two uh, uh, score in games, uh, have the Astros grabbed the momentum? 61% of you said the Braves still in control. 38% said the Astros have the momentum now. And on the Spain and Fitz Nation, uh, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at the dude abides underscore X hit us up and said, Braves in control. Got freed and Ian ready. The big guns in the pen are rested and the Astros are in the opposite position. Astros also weirdly struggle at home in World Series games. Atlanta will win the series. Fitz, I said... If uh, anybody has to win this unlikable series, I'll take the Braves away so that the Astros fans are sad at home because of the cheating and all that. And then the Braves fans can't be doing the chop while the winning is happening because that annoys me too. Uh, or a meteor. What well, What do you want? I, I mean, hey, I like your your uh, approach to all of this and the universal sadness that comes from, from yeah. all of it. But <laughs> I will say this. Uh, to me, it stood out that the Astros had a winnable game that they lost a couple of nights ago. They end up losing that game. It puts them into this hole. Then they come back and they win the game. I, I think pretty decisively uh, last night. So I, I don't, I don't really think momentum. Even though the score was not on the Astros side, I don't think momentum really backed that up. So going back to Houston, where the trash cans are probably just a little louder, and they've got you know <laughs> different ways that they can get those signals into people. You know that, that I, I feel like it's going to give them an advantage. I, there's no way in my mind it doesn't at least go seven games, and uh, you know, and then we'll see. You never know in a seven game but uh, I, I feel like that i'm not sure momentum shifted but i think houston's at least representing themselves better in this series now it's spain and fitz he's jason fitz i'm sarah spain of course if he's here we're going to talk some college football because tomorrow the first of the college football playoff rankings to be released heather dinich our college football senior writer was on best week ever on espn radio to give her 
first four? It's going to change. It should change. Every week it should change because of the results. But right now I think, you know, George is obviously the undisputed number one. I think one of the big questions for the committee is the one-loss teams, um, how high do they have some of those teams? And I I think Alabama – I think we had at ESPN.com Alabama number four. I personally had them at number two because I think if they line up – against anybody I have ranked behind them, I think they win. I had Michigan State at number three, and I put Cincinnati at number four, followed by Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma fans will love that. Um, (laughs) Just on the bubble there at number five, followed by Oregon and Ohio State. I did honor the head-to-head this week. So, you know, uh, I think Cincinnati, even though they did not win convincingly each of the past two weeks, they still are finding ways – to get it done, and the win against Notre Dame resonates, I dropped Michigan down to number 10. Ooh. Ooh. First Ooh. of all, Al Duncan's got to be walking around campus out there like LeVar Ball on SportsCenter a couple years ago because she's got her Braves in the World Series. She's got Georgia at number one. I mean, she is living the dream. Do you agree with uh, Heather's selections there? Okay, so a couple of things. If you haven't seen Elle's trash talking uh, jam band on Saturday, it's a yeah, delight. I so mean, that's, good. That, that's yeah, yeah. in and of itself. I keep trying to find a way to take a Saturday off just so I can go sit in with the cool kids as they do that. I don't even care about the outcome. <laughs> it just looks like they're having a good time. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's interesting to me, and by the way, shameless plug, 8 p.m. tomorrow night, rankings reaction comes back mm. with me, Mike Golick Jr., and Christine Wait a Williamson. minute, 8 p.m., uh-huh. 8 yeah. p.m. What, o- what else happens at 8 8- p.m.? The World oh, okay. Series tomorrow night. The World okay, Series. Okay, we're off, we're uh-huh. off, we're mm-hmm. off. Okay, I was about to give mm-hmm. you a, another talking to, but well, I'll, I'll, I'll be having wait. the night free. Uh, I'm going to see whose line is it anyway live to see my buddy Joel Murray and – so you enjoy that. Yeah. Peter. Well, uh, we'll uh, be talking uh, about uh, college football uh, and Cheez-Its. So those are two things. Like I know that I'm going to eat my body weight in Cheez-Its every Tuesday starting uh, this way. Eight to nine, though, you can check it out. Uh, I, I think Heather's close on her top four. And, you know, she obviously will forget most college, more college football than most of us will ever know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I totally agree that the charge here is not who's the most deserving. The, the committee is charged with finding the four best. I always say it's the four best of the most deserving. And uh, I would also have Georgia and Alabama number one and number two. I would have Michigan State number three. I wouldn't have Cincinnati number four. And I really like Cincinnati. I want them to make the playoff. But they just haven't looked all that good the last few weeks. And Ohio State has. So, uh, you know, the question to me is, the biggest one is that Oregon, Ohio State, 6-7. She said she honors the head-to-head. I think a lot of committee members will, but I'm not sure all of them will. Oregon has beaten Ohio State, but today, right now, Ohio State is playing so stinking well. I wouldn't have any problem with either of those teams, uh, Oregon or Ohio State, being four and the other being five. I'd put Cincinnati at six, and then I'd put Oklahoma at seven because Caleb Williams – uh, has not been the savior that some thought he was going to be throughout the course of the season. I can't, I can't get rid of Kansas out of my mind. Like they looked awful against Kansas, and I just can't get rid of that. So that that would be my four. I think this is the most interesting first rankings we've ever seen from the college football playoff committee, though. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because we've talked about that a little bit on this show. I usually say it's snidely because, as you know, I love everybody's obsession with college football. I adopted Michigan as my team, which was really a ton of fun this weekend as I was glued to my seat to watch that disappointing finish. But I still kind of giggle a little bit at the the dramatics every year because somehow we still start every season. If they lose, there's absolutely no way. And then people lose and they still make it and, you know, things happen. So more so than other years, though, you say that this is the wildest and weirdest and least predictable. Yeah, I think that's largely because you have so many teams with one loss and then trying to figure out 
like the quality wins and quality losses. And and this is the other thing. Like everybody always wants to go to one metric, and the committee's not looking at any one thing. So right. they're looking at so many different things. It's a I, I always use the chefing analogy, but like if you're an amazing chef and you have a ton of different ingredients, you have to figure out how much of those to use. And every chef might approach that a little differently. So even though they're all handed the same big thing of ingredients, how much each ingredient gets weight in the dish is different for every one of them. So it's going to be interesting to me because I think by eye test, Ohio State's playing better than Oregon right now, but Oregon's beaten them. And then Cincinnati's done everything they're supposed to do. And, you know, how they weigh the fact that, for example, Ohio State lost a game where their offensive coordinator wasn't on the field because of COVID. Like, so does a committee member give that weight? You know, I, I don't know. And that that's what gets really confusing in all of or Sorry, uh, it was Oregon that was without their offensive coordinator. Like, every one of these things becomes a different element that I have no idea how the com- committee is going to weigh any of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, it's it's what Heather said. Like, it's going to change a lot and probably will. And in the end, we have the same conversation every year, which is trying to figure out what the people on the committee are prioritizing. Yeah. Is it feel? Is it eye test? Is it number of losses? Is it strength of schedule? Like, there's so many different analytics and then not analytics just feel that they decide that um we're going to freak out a lot tomorrow about whatever they say of course understanding that it's going to change over and over again before the season ends uh but that's the fun of it and that's the content for the shows that you do so i'm sure you're yeah. you're pleased well, about and, that you're you know, okay with it one thing i always tell everybody too is like they're told every week is a brand new week it never stacks on so it's not like they start next week by saying well here's where we were last week they completely rebuild from right. scratch every week so it's going to be drastically different it's Spain and Fitz coming up. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they're going to have the entire college football playoff committee. They're going to reveal the findings <laughs> of their rankings early. Never been done before. Very ambitious, but they're going to make it happen. Also, shout out to Untouchable Kaz. It's his birthday tomorrow. He's one of our loyal listeners here on Spain and Fitz. We Happy love birthday, all of our brother. OGs. Happy birthday, Kaz. We'll see you guys Wednesday or Thursday. We don't know. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.